back, pod people, to a new episode of Cinema de More. I'm one of your hosts, Justin Morgan. I'm here with Chuck Phillips. And we are continuing our Alfred Hitchcock discussion. It's going to be a five-part discussion. This is part two. And we're talking about 1943's Shadow of a Doubt, Alfred Hitchcock's favorite film in his entire filmography. True. Although he does, I mean, it he is does, true. He does try to deny it in... Uh, in the book when Truffaut mentions that he's like, mm, did I say something like that? And Truffaut's like, I can 100% assure you in this interview, you said that. And he's like, I guess maybe I did. Going back to Hitchcock by Truffaut, that book definitely reminds me of some serial killer interrogation. <laughs> Truffaut calls Hitchcock out on all this stuff. And Hitchcock's responses are always like playful and, and not answers. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't always. Uh, he doesn't always like to to give all the facts away. Now, this is definitely one of my favorite ones too. I didn't do the rewatch like you. I didn't rewatch all fifty of his movies, but I. I mean, I don't know. I guess this would also still be within the top ten for me. Yeah, and I can. Uh, I can see why it's his favorite. Uh, especially since it's a, it's an idea that he's been trying to do for so long and kept getting told no, uh, that, that idea of, you know, uh, you're basically your main character being accused of being a murderer. Uh, and in all the other times he's tried to do it with something like the lodger or suspicion, it was like, Oh, you can't make that guy a, a killer. He's a real famous, uh, He's a real famous guy. He's like a, you know, you can't make him the bad guy. He's got to be the hero at the end. You, you got to have a reason for why he can't be the killer. Yeah, in this movie, too, we have a character. It, start, it opens with Joseph Cotton, and there's people looking for him. And we suspect that he's committed some sort of crime, but we're not exactly sure what he did. And to run from these guys, he he finds his sister... And he goes to live with them for a while, I guess, kind of stay off the radar. But from there, it kind of unravels as to what is he suspected of doing and did he do it? Because the first half of the movie, there's almost, you get a suspicion that he's up to something, but you don't know how bad it is and if he's done it. I mean, you know by the end if he's done it <laughs> and, and exactly what it is. This is Hitchcock's big doubles movie where he has the two detectives, the protagonists. I mean, it's kind of a shared protagonist between Charlie, his niece, and I guess he's Uncle Charlie. <laughs> he kind of, he kind of start, it kind of starts with him but ends with his niece. So it, I would say it's probably shared screen time too. I mean, and then the detective, much. and even the detectives, they say, "Hey, it's one of two people, and we're tracking them both right now." Yeah, I do. I do like the uh, the way they kind of like you're saying they give you those doubles. Um, we open up on Joseph Cotton laying in bed in in his room by himself. Um, you know, deep in contemplation, I guess, when his, uh, like the landlady or 
whoever he rents a room from comes up to see him uh and we get that exact same scene copied with his uh with his niece doing the exact same thing and yeah they they talk about how they're twins because they're they have the same name so it connects them uh and that they they think about each other that she thinks that that's who she needs to to get to come to their town to visit them to to make their life more exciting because she feels her whole family's uh, leading like a tedious existence and they need someone to shake things up and her plans to get him and it's a big surprise he's already planned to come her way so she thinks it's you know some sort of some sort of miracle yeah she thinks it's like a supernatural thing i also do love how like odd her family is like they're such a weird family of like the daughter that's the that is obsessed with reading books like refuses to put books down just keeps reading all the time and is all about facts then you have the kid that's obsessed with math he likes to mm-hmm. count things he likes to count how many steps he took and then he, he wants to count how long his sister slept he's like if you give me the exact time you went to sleep and the exact time you woke up and every time you woke up in between and how long you were awake for that time i'll tell you exactly how long you slept then you've got her father and herb who herb may be my favorite character in this movie he may be my favorite random hitchcock character of all because he's just such a weird guy uh yeah and i also feel like this is probably one of hitchcock's favorite movies not just because he accomplished that plot that he's been trying to do for so long, but the fact that there's this conversation between the 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 father and Herb, the neighbor, that is just, I mean, you can't get any more Hitchcock playfulness than that. Their dialogue with each other. Yeah. Always talking stuff. about the perfect murder. Yeah. And Why do you I, always have to talk about killing people? I'm not I'm talking not. about killing people. <laughs> I'm talking about killing Herb, and Herb's talking about killing me. Yeah, they they're always coming up with their their perfect scenarios. Uh, not so perfect with DNA. Yeah, not yeah. not today's time. In, in their time, I guess. But yeah, I, I do enjoy something like. Uh, did you did you like the coffee I gave you earlier? Yeah, it was pretty good. You didn't notice anything different about it? No, I put some soda in it. <laughs> oh, you didn't notice that? You wouldn't notice the poison I slipped in it, would you? <laughs> Yeah, that uh, their all their conversations made me laugh in that movie. Him and Herb. Yeah, it is. It is excellent. Yeah, I, and like, uh, I do enjoy like that. His his daughter like mocks him for reading mysteries. She's like, "You don't read serious literature, father." And he's like, "You leave my books alone." <laughs> what are you reading, yeah, <laughs> Ivanhoe? Ivanhoe. Mm, oh, really? Oh. <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna read my books then." Yeah, it, it's interesting to kind of go back to that time, too. Well, you know, obviously time before us, but the, the way that the way that it runs now for them to... They could remake this, but it, they'd have to change so much for the times. You know, we have things like the the newspaper ad that, that uh, Joseph Cotton is trying to hide. And it kind of results to, well, why don't you go to the library? They've got newspapers there. Yeah. yeah, whereas now you could just look it up online. You can't can't hide those things anymore. That, that I almost, like him uh, building his house too. Within like a shot, he had like he had an entire house made out of newspaper. Yeah, the uh, that that's kind of making me 
think uh like kind of how when we discuss the coen brothers that i feel like that's a reason that they they really enjoy setting their movies like they're they don't necessarily do like period pieces for a lot of their films other than something like hudsucker proxy or miller's crossing but they always seem to like to set their films at least like 10 to 20 years earlier like no country for old men just so that they can limit themselves with yeah yeah to take place during the during the gulf war and stuff just so they can specifically like limit the use of some technologies that might you know spoil a certain story plot story point that they're trying to to get across because it, it does there are a lot of things that you could say like uh no country for old men well, how could the killer have tracked them? Well, he could just like look up, you know, their cell phone records or track like their social media posts. He put it's an like, Apple AirTag on. Yeah, them. it's like it's like so, you know, by setting it. Uh, you know, I mean, in there the essentially kind of was an AirTag on that. It was just a massive yeah. tracking device cut into the money. Yeah. So yeah, it, I feel like that's that's the that's a problem with a lot of uh, these type of mystery type films is. The same with like, I don't know, something like uh, The Lady Vanishes even feels like if you made it nowadays, it's like someone would be like, no, I took a selfie with that lady. Look at it right here. That clearly is not the same lady. Like You couldn't like fool people into thinking you couldn't gaslight people about a, about a missing woman on a train the same way. Yeah. Shadow of a Doubt is a lot better. It, it takes out a lot more of the craziness to it. It feels more believable with the fact that maybe this is a a criminal and not and a spy, not espionage. Yeah. But Hitchcock loves doing his little hints early on in the film. And I think like a huge hint that you can't trust this guy isn't just his escape. His walking past those people doesn't really prove that he's a good guy or a bad guy. But when he comes off the train and they're like helping him off the train and he's acting kind of crippled or injured... And the minute he sees Charlie, he starts walking normal as if, you know, nothing like that yeah. had just taken place. Yeah. I, I do like the uh, the doctor that's on the train, too, when that guy's like, oh, I don't know, he's he's supposed to be severely injured, must be in all sorts of pain. And the woman's like, well, you're a doctor, why don't you help me? He's like, I'm on vacation. <laughs> yeah. I can't be helping everyone that I come across while I'm on vacation. Also, whenever... You get the you find out that this this guy, one of the people that they're looking for, is the uh, Mary Widow killer, and he's basically targets rich widows, and we know from earlier in the movie he's already targeted a widow, and it's really funny because it's like it's not really this is kind of a a brilliant moment in this movie for me is that Hitchcock doesn't have to spell it out for you. He does it. He has a more subtle approach to the idea that he, he's not just hiding there. He's already picked his next victim and he's, he's hunting her. And the way that like towards the end of the film where he's like, I'm leaving. And, and the woman's like, so am I, I'm, I'm going to be leaving at the same time. And, you know, we even see her on the train and she's like excited to see him there. I just, I love it. Cause it's like, he's not done he's he's not finished with it he's he would still go and you know continue doing you know going down this path yeah yeah they do hitchcock does leave a lot of a lot of good clues early on like you were saying that they don't necessarily tell you that he's a murderer 
but yeah, there's always something shady. The fact that he has just money lying around his room and just doesn't seem to care. He just leaves it like laying on the floor, which is apparently, I mean, that, uh, I don't know how much money he has there. That doesn't seem like, I know he says he gives him like $40,000 and I'm assuming this is like, I don't know. He's, he's like a, a guy that has thousand dollar bills or something I like that. Cause it doesn't even it look like he's he not motivated even, uh, by money and he's not. Yeah. No. But, uh, you know, he just leaves it lying around. He'll just drop it wherever he wants to. You know, he, he puts it in the bank when he gets Deposits there. Deposits 40 grand. They yeah. don't have to just, report it to the government in 1942 whenever they were filming this. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They just take it and just, just throw it in the vault. Uh, then, then he gives, uh, when he gives Charlie the ring, which is like, I get kind of like the first biggest clue that something, something strange when she gives him, he gives her the ring and. She, she's excited about how it's engraved and he's like it's not engraved and she's like yeah it is right here you can it's hard to read but it definitely has these initials in it and he's just like and it's it's not hard to read <laughs> yeah yeah you can see it on camera yeah he's like uh but he yeah he tries to take it back from her he's like oh i must have got ripped off by that jeweler he didn't know me it was used i thought it was a that was a brand new ring she, i mean everything that people got were, was clearly from like a widow like a widower <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah yeah, they get everything. Yeah, give uh, they give Joe that watch, which is probably like from the from the former husband of one of the <laughs> of one of his victims, or it was like a gift that one of them gave to to Joseph Cotton's character when he when they married him or something like that. And he's probably like, I got like twenty of those. Like he, they always give me a watch. Uh, yeah, that's a, I do love that moment too. He does that. Uh, he says like how fancy it is, which again, that's like another old timey thing. I feel like that like. Uh, wristwatches were not common back then. Like probably more people still had pocket watches hey, or something. Hey, he said it was his first wristwatch. Was, yeah, and when uh, when Herb comes over, he's like, "Yeah, it's uh, oh, let me see, quarter to seven. Like waves his hand around, and Herb's like, "Oh, is that a is that a wristwatch you got there?" <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, might be a might be a new wristwatch." I mean, there's also a lot of great moments in this movie too that that fit in modern times to me. One of them being when the mom makes the call to the to the uh i guess it would be the post office who does telegrams and she starts screaming and my immediate thought is you don't have to scream and then to, within two yeah. seconds his, her daughter is saying mom you don't have to scream and you're not talking to them yeah. they don't have to make up for the distance <laughs> there was something else too oh when herb comes over and it's like it's herb he's here again and he like wandered yeah. into their living room and then he this is the second time where he's like oh you're still eating your dinner i had my dinner an hour ago yeah and she was fashionable how, having your dinner so late she whispers how she doesn't like him and then he yeah. just like sits down on the chair and he's like basically waiting for their dinner to be over yeah and I, I mean, I haven't really had that in a long time. But Herb always shows up when we're eating. It, it reminds me of childhood, you know, where your friend would come over yeah. and you're like, and you're, you're a little you're like, early. Yeah, you're like, you're like, I'm still eating dinner. I can't play yet. You're going to have to like hang out here. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And they have to like either. Yeah. They either have to like sit in the living room or they just like sit outside and wait for you to be done or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I, also I did a little confused. That. Like Charlie's, how, how old would you say Charlie is supposed to be? what the daughter yeah uh well we know she graduated but that sounds like it was probably pretty recent so it feels like she's probably only supposed to be like 
don't know, maybe like nineteen twenty. It did. It like it feels weird to me the way that the detective tries to basically like, seduce her. I can't tell how old he's supposed to be because this feels like this is another problem of like movies made in the 1940s where everyone uh, some people look way older than they probably are or playing way older or they're supposed to be way younger. It's so hard to tell back in these films like because, yeah, I feel like she's supposed to be younger. But, yeah, he probably looks like he's like maybe 30 or something like that. But again, that's like just how people look like I could I could easily believe someone being like that actor was 22 when they shot that film. <laughs> he was 15 years old. Yeah, it's where Yeah, he looks so young and then his partner definitely looks like he's like 40. Uh, which I do. I, I do also enjoy yeah. when the when he asks about uh, having Charlie show him the town and and their first the mother's first statement is like, you should probably take Anne. And I'm like, I think Anne's like 10. Like, I don't think. That's weird that you're just like, you could take my 10 year old instead. And she said the same thing. She's like, yeah, just send your child around with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> yeah. Just send your 10 year old off with, with these guys, which then later it is like, it, it, yeah, it again sounds weird later on when his, his partner that, like I said, looks way older than he does. And he's like, yeah, I talk to Anne all the time. And she's like, really? And she's like, he's like, yeah, we have a, we have a relationship. Uh, she tells me stuff that I need to know. And it's just like, ah, this sounds weird, man. I don't <laughs> You're, you're saying weird stuff that I don't think you should be saying, but okay. Yeah, I guess it's more like an in, through the lens of like innocence or something. Yeah, that like that's just not a not a thing that people think they like. They're very trusting. This family is very trusting. It looks like it seems like they always leave their doors unlocked. Like I never see anyone with keys. It's like they have that back door that just seems like it's always unlocked for anyone oh, to get unlocked. in and out of. It is always unlocked. They're, they're very trusting in this uh, small town in California. They don't they don't think that any any crime, which I guess that's that is kind of the whole point is that uh, uh, this is, I guess, like one of the few times that Hitchcock sets a film in like small town America. I like think, most uh, of his to films, be honest with you, this is Santa Rosa. And I think the birds is also Santa Rosa. Maybe. Well, maybe part of it, but I don't know the because the end of the birds are at like uh uh, the bay or something like that that might be where it starts santa rosa is uh, yeah santa rosa is um on the is a coastal town mm, maybe this says it's santa rosa but i know this says it's santa rosa i'm questioning that the birds is santa rosa i know that this is for sure i thought santa you were rosa. a hitchcock expert you let me down Man, i didn't think the birds if isn't I even in my top I 10 I, did, I, I don't pay attention location. to the birds oh man don't pay attention to the birds. But you're That's googling like, it or something, I'm definitely right? Bodega Bay, California. Not even close. Get out of here! I knew it wasn't Santa Rosa. It doesn't even look the same. You know what? Maybe the uh, the lead characters from Santa Rosa. That's what I'm saying. There might be some sort of connection where they mention it in the in the film, but I like I just knew it was not the same the same location. You didn't know it because you had to look it up. It you starts in it. San you had Francisco. A shadow of a doubt. It starts in San Francisco. We're not even. We're all over the place here. But uh, but yeah, most of uh, most of his movies don't take place uh, in these Anywhere. kind of small town settings. They're usually either like some sort of obviously like more of his spy thrillers take place like uh, somewhere in Europe, or you get like North by Northwest, which is just all over the continent of America. Uh, they're just going everywhere in that film. Uh, or like, yeah, like I said, big cities, like you get something like 
uh, Vertigo that also takes place in San Francisco. Uh, is Rear Window is Rope, New, York? New York? I think Rope and Rear Window are both New York. Oh, uh, Rear Window is definitely New York because it's Greenwich Village. Yeah. So he usually does these big cities, but so I don't know. This, this is like a good one that it, it truly shows that like these people are so trusting in this small town. They don't even lock their doors or anything, but they let this guy come into their life who also, I will say, is possibly maybe one of the most evil characters in any Hitchcock movie, like maybe even more so than than like uh, um, Psycho, because this guy very clearly in a lot of his statements uh, just absolutely hates humanity. He's like, he just, yes. he just like the way he starts talking, like when he, when he kind of starts like zoning out and going on these rants about like these filthy swine in their homes with their well, riches. Don't you think that's kind of the genius of it? Because there's so many people whose mindset is similar to that. So yeah. you get the morbidness of the father and Herb and it, and it, it kind of translates because he says stuff like that and the father's like, Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, he is a good character. I, I do think he's one of the uh, one of Hitchcock's like best villains. Uh, he is a very, a very well well done character. Joseph Cotton, I think, plays him really well. Well, you got to think of the way that they do the villains because a lot of times, like it's either like in the forefront, like rope. Or the villain kind of falls into the background, like rear window. I mean, the focus of it is the is this person, but yeah. it's not from the perspective of them. Yeah, I think maybe one of the other one of the others that I enjoy a lot is uh, Strangers on a Train. That's another great villain performance of that guy that's just like super unhinged and is just like <laughs> yeah. has that uh, truly. He he's almost more comical though. Than Joseph Cotton is like yeah. Joseph Cotton's like dead serious about how like uh, crazy he is. Whereas uh, in Strangers on a Train, that guy's just like, "Come on, man, it'll be great. Just kill my dad for me, and we'll do this, and it'll be fun, and I'll make your life better." Like he just thinks like it's all a joke. He's a more he's more centric though than Joseph Cotton. Yeah, Joseph Cotton's character is interesting because he's really smart for the for the most part. Like yeah, the way that he they're like, "Oh, we have this." publishers people coming to do an article about us and he gets mad are you stupid why would you do that they're just going to take advantage of you and he's not he's really not wrong but he's obviously doing it in his own self-interest yeah i also like how creepy they make those two guys before they before the reveal of like before they finally start talking when they're waiting across the street and they're like chasing him in the beginning of the movie and then when they're waiting in the car, like, there he is before they get out to get to the, you know, go in. I also love the mo- the mother slash sister of Uncle Charlie. He's like, you came early. The house isn't ready. You can't take pictures of this yet. Yeah. And, and that's like something that does all like. That is something I grew up with, too. My mom would be pissed if somebody came over to the house and. They came early, so she didn't have enough time to clean it up. <laughs> yeah, then then they're they're trying to make the pie, and that guy's got his got his camera. He's like, he's like, can't you just put the eggs in? She's like, I love when she just keeps going. I will not ruin this pie just so you can or the cake just so you can get your shot. And he's like, we'll come back tomorrow, and you can make another cake. I'm not making cakes every day. Yeah, the yeah the first thing she's like, I'm not putting an egg. 
into the pan. It has to be butter and sugar first. And then when they're, they've, quote unquote, run out of film, oh, we'll have to come back tomorrow. Well, I'm not making another cake tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's excellent. Cakes. I do like the way I, I, just the structure of the story, too. Where they're like, oh, let's go upstairs, and you know that they want to try to see this uncle, or you know, see things that are around where he's staying. And I love when they go upstairs, and they're like, "Do you have another set of stairs there?" Which is such a, I don't know, they rich. <laughs> they don't. They don't even <laughs> just have a second floor. They got two sets of stairs. Yeah. And Charlie's like, "Oh, he's in his room sleeping," and they make that bed. I bet he's not in there. I'll bet you've like a quarter, <laughs> like whatever they they bet, and I do like that he's right because it kind of adds to the suspicion of Uncle Charlie. The, uh, the him pic- him like leering through the window <laughs> when they walk yeah. back out. The picture thing's funny because that's like another uh, that's like another thing that that again, if you were to update this film to modern times, like everyone has pictures of themselves constantly. Everyone's taking photos, yeah. and when he's like. It's uh, he's so proud. He's like, I've never had my picture taken. And then when his sister's like, Yeah, you've had your picture taken. He's like, No, I haven't. That's a lie. And she's like, She's like, I have your picture right here. And he's like, He's like, He just seems like so upset that somebody has a picture of him as a child. Also, he seems to be sweating it until he sees it's him as a child. Uh, yeah, because he doesn't think that there's like a, a modern picture of him, and he turns out to be right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, they they say that was before his accident, which I I guess feels like that's the that's somewhat of the only kind of hint as to what's wrong with him is that he had this uh, uh, terrible accident, like he got hit by a train or whatever it was when he was a kid or hit by a bus or something when he was riding his bike. And they they said, like, he was in a coma or something like that. And no one thought he was going to be right after that. And I feel like that's that's like the only time this movie tries to point out. It's also like an old school diagnosis of why somebody's crazy. Ah, They were hit by a train years ago. He got hit by a bus and it uh, and it it, it screwed up their head. Although that's gave him a thrill to go kill. That was uh, that was one of the things I I, because I always watch I watch those true crime shows as everyone does. Uh, and one of them, they, they specifically talked about like, what are the, what are the most common characteristics among serial killers? And they, they mentioned that usually they had to have like two out of three characteristics. And one of them was like having some sort of serious, uh, brain trauma. Like they pointed out that a lot of, a lot of serial killers, like somewhere in their past, you could find where they, they like fell down a flight of stairs or got like, Oh, shit. With, I like, fell down my stairs a couple years ago. Yeah, like something something happened to them, uh, or they got like hit in the head with like a golf club or something, like when they were playing in their backyard with their dad's golf set or something like that. And they they pointed out they're like that uh, it's something that doesn't get brought up uh, like often enough that that yeah, a lot of these guys had like some sort of like really bad head trauma, and then suddenly they started being like murders a few years I mean I never read the work of it but the television show that Fincher did Mindhunter that's totally about them trying to get down to what makes a serial killer a serial killer so I'm sure that study kind of opened up that information yeah it's it's in a lot of stuff like that like I know they pointed out they they because that's what they uh they mentioned like the the rarity is someone like uh Ted Bundy I think was like the one that they talked about that had like none of the characteristics they were like actually his family loved him they thought he was like 
a totally normal kid. He never had any history of like mental illness or something he like that. He's like, fits. he's like the yeah. rarest. Yeah. He, I, I know what you're about to say that yeah. he, he feels like the most like, like this character and that he's like super charismatic and everyone like, is just like that guy couldn't be a murderer. He's such a good guy. Well, I don't know what all your, the, the three, the two out of three things that you have to get, but Joseph Cotton having the one. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was having a, it was having a, a serious head trauma having some sort of uh like pre-existing mental condition not not related to the head trauma oh, like basically being like schizophrenia or yeah. like or like having like some sort of sort of personality and then the third one was like being abused as a child they said like that those are like the three largest like if you have two out of those three you're like your odds of becoming a serial killer like ramp up dramatically if you have all three you're like if you have all three it's pretty much like guaranteed yeah i think that's the thing that i like the most about this villain he comes off as very sensible. He comes off as not an honest person, but he comes off as a clever person. And I think that's what Hitchcock always wanted. He he wants the villain to be somewhat smart. He's yeah. he's also that character that I feel like a lot of people would admire, you know. I want to be more like that guy. Yeah. He's a lady killer. And once he yeah, once he finally uh uh, they they talk about that there's a guy on the east coast that they're they're chasing too. There's two people that they think could be the killer, but again because this is 1940s, uh, they don't have any pictures of this guy, so they can't be 100 percent sure. So they literally need to get this guy and and find him in person to to make sure that he's the killer. It makes me uh, think of the movie Taking Lives, where they were like <laughs> easily just like continuously repl- like taking over other people, like just killing them, and it's like they'll never know. Yeah uh but yeah when they uh when he finds out that the other guy which i I love i love how casual uh again it's another moment with herb and her father they're like did you hear about that guy on the east coast that they were chasing they thought he was the murderer yeah what happened he ran out onto the runway got sucked right into a jet turbine blew him all over the place and then chose like oh that's a pretty good one he's like he's like that's that's one way to take someone out uh and yeah immediately uh his his personality changes. He's super, uh, he starts to be relieved that, that, Oh, I guess I, I guess now no one will believe me. But the, the key moment is that he's already confessed everything to his niece. So she's still the only person that knows for sure. Uh, but he kind of tries to hold it over her that, that it would ruin her family's life. And it would like, uh, upset her mother so much if she were to reveal that he was, a, he was, he was the murderer. If he would basically give her up, like, so he's like, it would have been cooler if Charlie wanted to be like him. Yeah. Go full Dexter, just like, I want to be just like my Uncle Charlie and start murdering people. Her admiration feels flirty and weird. Yeah. It feels like she's into her Uncle Charlie more than just admiration, I guess. Yeah. Like she's showing him off in front of her friends. Like, I don't know. Have you seen my uncle Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are you see this handsome guy? He gave me a ring and everything. <laughs> it's from a widow. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that's the, that's the key. I, I love that. The, there's that weird scene too. When he like, uh, he takes her to that, uh, like supposed to be like some sort of like CD bar. And that girl, oh, that, yeah. that girl that she went to school with. That, that girl's that, hilarious. That's just like, Hey, you're in here i didn't think i'd see someone like you in here and she just like talks like that for the entire time oh that's a nice ring i know uh that's a real ring. yeah that's a real emerald you notice how i didn't even have to ask if it's real i can just tell it's real 
That's nice. I'd do anything for a ring <laughs> like that. I'm like, geez, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a funny scene. It's, a, it's such a weird and awkward. It's funny uh, that it is supposedly the CD bar in town, but yeah. the town is David Lynch suburbia of everything be looking like it's yeah. perfect. White picket fences and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that, that the crossing guard. That moment's odd. That like, it, yeah, that girl's like, uh, that girl seems to be the character that's supposed to be like some sort of warning. Like, like, yeah, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd. Started drinking when I was young. Now I just work in bars. We're the same age. It's like, she's she's supposed to be the same age as Charlie, but she looks like ten years older, and she just looks like she hates life so much. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 a great moment. That's yeah, that's a, that's like the key scene where where he uh he explains everything to her and more stuff comes out about the ring which that that i guess goes back to uh when we were bringing up other films that are very hitchcockian with something like match point it's like the ring is like the the big key everything or hinges, frenzy the brooch yeah, or whatever that is the tie that clip. ring and that, that's when he thinks he's he thinks he's gotten away with it and that he can't uh she has no proof other than just it would be her word against his and he's like i'm older i'm more uh people would definitely believe me more than they believe you and in the time he's probably right yeah yeah they'd have probably been like he's at least that's the movies then. yeah the movies of the time have led me to believe that a man's word means more than anything else so yeah Yeah. I, I just like, yeah, the realism that seeps into this movie, too. Oh, you got to talk to the women's club. Oh, women's oh, women's <laughs> club. By the way, we're recording on International Women's Day. Shout out to all the ladies that are listening. Yeah. This film not as uh, not as not as women friendly as uh, <laughs> some other ones. Yeah, that's when he that's when he starts going on his rant when she brings up about like, what are you going to do your speech on at the women's club? And that's when he starts going off on like the these women that just buy things and just want to own things. And they, they have filthy souls. They're swine. They just, uh, they're just terrible people. And if you looked in their houses, you'd just find people with all their stuff. And I hate them so much. I mean, it's a great scene because, you know, not because it's anti-woman, but because it builds up the character and it lets you know that he doesn't see them as people. And it's weird though, because his thrill is obviously, the hunt slash the kill and getting away with it because he doesn't do it for the money. His joy, his joy, I think is like, is literally, like I said, that little bit that you get of like trying to start that relationship to like ring in it, like in how he can take it. He gets the thrill. It's just the thrill of doing it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's what he loves. <laughs> What do you love? Ah, just a little murder. Just get me by. Yeah, just a little. It is actually funny because you brought up Dexter, and that was like a plot point in Dexter where he has to kill to kind of like keep his demons at bay. And that's clearly what this character is going through. He goes through the exact same motions of he can't just be out if he could just get out of it then he would be golden but it, like it's still a part of him and he can't, he just he can't separate himself from it yeah good old hitchcock now i don't know 
where people are watching this at. I have the Blu-ray. I had the DVD. On, it's on Peacock. Sweet. Uh, wasn't Lady Vanishes on Peacock? Uh, no, Lady Vanishes is on uh, HBO Max, I want to say. Oh. Yeah, that's where I watched it. Because it's a Criterion one. I own it, but I'm just too lazy to get the discs out half the time. <laughs> so I just I, I get just that. Well, you know what? Uh, Criterion Channel saved my ass for Lady Vanishes because I got my disc replacement oh, fast. Yeah. Uh, Criterion actually replaced like 12 or 13 discs of mine. Half of them were like doing that bronzing thing. And I let them know. I'm like, well, I have all these. What do you think? And I sent them pictures and they said, well, it might not be a problem now, but it could be a problem down the road. So we'll replace them. It might take two to three weeks. And I think in two days they were there. Which So they're a very solid company. And I could finish the movie online anyways. <laughs> You're at least able to do that. I know. I don't think I would have been too bad. I was 10 minutes away from the ending. <laughs> that's where it that's where it well, went out I, on you. It it was. The the stopping point was an hour twenty and yeah, I looked yeah. it up and that's like where everyone else was having problems too with it. Yeah. I'm surprised we don't have more of Hitchcock in the collection yet. Obviously I guess it's just a rights it, that's the I mean I figure it's more just a rights thing that they don't feel like some well, of these don't feel they like just got the rights again notorious, right? Yeah. And they and they did Rebecca again, so that leaves Spellbound. Spellbound's so possibly... a weird one. That's that one's like hard to find. Like other than you have to get like random like bootlegs of it or something like that, or a used copy or something. I think it was Criterion DVD. And yeah, I the old one. That... Yeah. But it's been out did, of print for so long. Did Kino Lorber have Lorber have it? I don't think so. Somebody else had the rights. It, that happens so fast with Criterion too. Sometimes, yeah. I, I wouldn't That's be surprised why Third if they Man eventually, like eventually release. Uh, they somehow get the rights back. I know that's a that one's like hard because I think there was a. Uh, I don't. I don't know if they were sued, but it, I know it had something to do with like the uh, the Dolly sequences in it or something like that. That like about the ownership over those or something or the credit what? that was on them. Because he did those dream sequences, I believe that's like what's kept that movie from being like reprinted very often. Is because they need to like pay. I don't know who has the rights to scenes from a movie. Apparently, Salvador Dali. Apparently, when you're that big of a oh, when you're that big of an artist, yeah, 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 you can you have that much control over. All right, that makes sense. I mean, I was thinking something along the lines of the Wonder Years, where. Something At the like time, the they had all these huge songs like Led Zeppelin and stuff. Yeah, and then they don't. They never got the right. They got the rights to air it, but they never got the rights to produce it like home media because at the time, they didn't have the foresight <laughs> that television would be an easy thing to own and watch. So they did like I think Netflix did a weird like edited Wonder Years where like the original song was gone and I think all the songs like throughout the episodes were changed. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh I, I hope they do get the the rights that because I thought that movie was I thought that movie was good. I liked it a lot, but the the version that I had to watch of it like I, I found it online. That's one of the few ones that like again I could not just easily buy to watch. Um because just no one really no one really has it unless you can find like an old used copy of it. But I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good movie. I I liked it a lot. I especially 
Although that's what I will say. I think I like the the dream sequences are like some of the coolest parts of that movie. That and the uh, what's the movie where he does the giant hand with the gun at the end that that's like hilariously weird the way that he had to that he had to get that. But um, like I said, I I think this is this is finally the the best version that he got to do the whole you know the the guy that's the protagonist actually is the killer like we said he he tried to do that a few times before i think the lodger still works very well i really like that movie i thought that's one of his best silent ones i think it like something like suspicion i i liked most of that movie until it got to the end and it was just like everything just like gets wrapped up so easily about like oh carrie grant's not the murderer (laughs) like what are you talking about he's not a killer he couldn't be a killer all that stuff that happened was just accidental it just like wipes it away like in the last 10 minutes when everything's just like no he's not the killer no one's the killer it's just uh yeah that stuff happened and i think like the guy that she thinks he killed like turns up at the end and he's like what you thought i was dead like that's stupid to think and like yeah so where it's like tucker and dale versus evil everything's an accidental death yeah yeah so that's how that one was so that like I felt like I really enjoyed that movie and I liked the idea of Cary Grant being the murderer and then just it turning out to be like, no, he's not the murderer. That was just all made up and and she was just imagining. It was basically like just one of those like like his wife's just crazy. But you know what? She That's what's kind of honestly, though, that exactly that exact plot point is taken and putting it into this movie where Uncle Charlie threatens, you know, they won't believe you. We'll just say that you're crazy. Yeah. That manipulative son of a bitch. That's always what we're that's always what they're going with. Yeah, I don't have the box set in front of me, but maybe it's Warner Brothers that has the biggest Hitchcock set. Uh, Actually no, it's Warner it's, Brothers I have over here with it's the Universal. Uh, okay, so Universal is like the biggest ones I would say. Yeah. And I have a, a Warner Brothers set over here that's like Lesser known, Dial M for Murder, Suspicion, Wrong Man, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So yeah. not the, not the prime stuff. I think I got Foreign Correspondent, which is also I have two of them. I guess I have the Criterion one too. Yeah, because I know I think I I have that same. Well, I have the, I have the British version of that set because it was it was cheaper to buy it from there as an import. Uh, because it's oh, wow. region free. I think like the. That's a weird thing. All those films are universal other than North by Northwest, which is Warner Brothers, which I don't know. They did like they must have done some sort of weird deal to include that in that set for some reason. But in the British version, they didn't include it. So that's my set's identical, except it's missing North by Northwest. So I just randomly. Oh, you're talking the universal set. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't have too many duplicates besides that, like five dollar, like 20 Hitchcock movies on uh, four DVDs set that we have. Yeah. Uh, that's where I have my strangers on a train is the, I don't, I think it looks like nine, eight or nine movies from Warner brothers. I, I have North by Northwest there too. So North by Northwest core, uh, foreign course bond. I can't, I can't read apparently. Those are probably the only duplicates I really have. I had that like velvet, really nice DVD oh, yeah, set, I remember that but, one, yeah. but I got rid of it for the the Blu-ray, and they do look a lot better. Yeah, yeah I think they. All, I think most of them. I think 
pretty much all of them look good other than the birds and that's just because there's like too many birds like effects shots that (laughs) that like i don't know i know they said like the film itself is like practically damaged like the weird projection to do special effects and stuff having like so much stuff put on it it like it just ends up not looking good and there's i'm sure some at some point they'll find a way to like fix that movie that that'll be one of those random like 4k releases it's like finally the birds looks good i don't know how you do it without messing with it too much yeah i don't know that's what i'm saying like maybe the Maybe when they get the technology good enough that they can that they can do something else with it, but Re- redo the birds. Yeah, that was that was the only one when I when I rewatched those out of like all of those films on Blu-ray, that was the only one that I was like, yeah, this still doesn't look that good. It never Birdemic. It never has to me like remake. Like every every time I've watched the birds, I'm always like, I was like, this one just doesn't look that good compared to the rest of them. It's just too just too much the way they the way you had to film it the the effects. Uh, the Blu-ray the Blu-ray might have ruined it a little bit too. If it looks it's like almost like higher... too clear that you can like yeah, see wires be... and stuff. I mean, the special effects, I think, for the time are kind of like I-, I think it's really good for its time. I, re- I really do. I just don't think that it's Hitchcock's best movie. I know it's one of his more well-known movies. Yeah, because it's like, oh, the you know, the birds like it's one of his big horror films. And I know that it was super successful and. You know, it, it's basically in line with, you know, the the Night of the Living Dead. It's a very similar kind of plot to yeah. that movie, but yeah. it's weird because he's better with his he's better with his characters. Although I I would say something like Psycho, which plays with the audience maybe more than any of his other films, unless you want to do Vertigo or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's like that's where you're like when you were talking about Joseph Cotton's character in this movie and how he seems to be one of the better villains and uh, one of the better villains that is also a protagonist. Norman Bates comes to mind, but he's not really a protagonist till halfway through. And then at that, he's not even a protagonist at best. It kind of switches over to other people. I mean, the moments, the only moments you really get with him are when he's watching through the eye hole and then when he's getting rid of the, the car yeah. in the lake. Yeah. That's a great movie. It really is. Uh, Psycho is the first movie I ever saw that was a Hitchcock movie, so I kind of expected all Hitchcock movies to be that way. Yeah, I feel like... Uh... I don't, I don't. I feel like I probably saw the. I probably saw the birds before I saw Psycho. That was probably, that was probably the first Hitchcock movie I would have seen too. It was probably maybe that's maybe that's why I hold the birds like in low regard because I because like it they all got better after that. Like like I saw, but I saw that movie and when I saw it probably the first time I think I was like I'm like oh my god this movie's amazing like I loved it and then I think I watched the rest of it and I was like it's okay compared to the <laughs> compared to the other ones the other ones are better but. Um, I mean, on the grand scale of things, he has a lot of worse movies than The Birds. Yeah, when, and, and once, some once of the you bir- go with stuff all in 50. The Birds. Yeah, a few things in The Birds I think are actually really good. I love that moment where the birds start showing up at the school. Yeah, and they just gradually like grow in numbers, and then when they massacre all those kids, yeah, and Hitchcock hates kids. <laughs> it's like they just need more scenes like that. 
Yeah, between between that and then when he's uh he's like throwing birds at Tippy Hedron, like actual birds that are like going nuts and clawing at her. Well, it's that, also that kind of be... funny too because I can imagine a, a species, something like birds, that would all of a sudden start attacking humans. But these birds are like blowing up gas stations and shit. Like <laughs> they try to make it be an accident, but it's just like, would birds actually cause that much mayhem? I mean, they almost took out Sully's plane, but <laughs> that's, I that's mean, a I sequel to the birds is like they're they're coordinating to take down our our jet airliners by flying into the <laughs> flying into the engines. I mean, they could pick you to death, so I mean, it's not totally unrealistic, but <laughs> they do have some creepy scenes in there, like the one where they go into the guy's house. And his corpse is there with the eyes like all eaten out from the birds. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that, that's like why that's what I feel like about that movie is I feel like it's more it has a lot of good moments that don't necessarily add up to overall the best the best film, but it does have a lot of moments that are like some of his best and uh, like most suspenseful in any of his films. Though in that in that movie, I do enjoy a lot of those a lot of those moments I, in there. Yeah. It's lower on my list, but I can't knock it. It's yeah. it. It's not all that bad. It's the special effects, I think, more than anything. Yeah, and, and his it, torture of his actresses. And I know, uh, you know, speaking of Joseph Cotton, his leading man in this film, uh, I know he's uh, Joseph Cotton has said that he's proud that this he was in this film, Citizen Kane, and The Third Man, which uh, all three of those directors said that the those are their favorite films that they've ever made and he's so i know it's like his big like he, he talked about that uh in interviews that he's he's happy that he was in their three favorite movies from three great directors which feels yeah, like and prominent roles too yeah yeah he's not like just a random like uh background character like he is a main character i mean maybe you could have been citizen kane if orson welles wasn't yeah. so into himself yeah i guess i guess that's the thing you can at least say that uh that he had he had a lot of competition in in uh, the filmography of Hitchcock for saying that's his favorite. Maybe less so in uh, Orson Welles Hitchcock. You know who's pissed? His... Probably Jimmy Stewart, since he's been in like so many of his yeah. movies. Yeah, that that he's that he's not in any of his favorites. He is like uh, I don't know. It's it's easy to make fun of him because he's got that uh, I, I don't know. He's got that old that old Hollywood feel of like sometimes he comes off a bit like overacting and uh he doesn't always yeah he doesn't always nail every part and you know they sometimes just turn into the same character at the end when he starts like screaming like in it's like it we talked about that it's when he screams that you you just lose it it ruins it yeah but uh but i don't know he's in I, I mean, when I looked at my top 10 list, he's in more of the movies in there. Again, also just partially because he's been in so many of Yeah, he's, he's in, been in, he's more, in the biggest ones. He's I'd in the say. biggest ones. Rear Window, Vertigo, The Man Who Knew Too Much, The Remake, uh, Rope, which is still a pretty big one. It's, that's not in my top 10, but I still think it's a I still think it's a good movie. Like it's a good concept uh, and a good style to that film. I do enjoy watching that and, and seeing Hitchcock at least trying to do something uh that no one else at that time was trying to do which is make an entire film look like it's in real time uh without any cuts like that's at least still uh you know i i think feel like maybe hitchcock doesn't get enough credit for 
I think he's viewed as like a reliable old Hollywood director, but he really did experiment with a lot of things. And I feel like that's maybe where he gets most overlooked is that he did a lot of firsts, even, even the most minor of things. Like I know what, what are the big thing is that, uh, that he's like, uh, happy about is psychos. The first time that you ever saw a toilet in a movie because no one ever showed. And like, it actually got used and flushed. Like that was considered a, a thing that you shouldn't show in films. Cause it's, uh, it's dirty and like it's vulgar to show something like that. And he, he was happy to do it. So it's like, I feel like he doesn't get enough. Uh, like I said, he doesn't get enough credit for, for actually going out and trying to do new things. He wasn't like his old, old fashioned and, you know, but he also does like try to perfect things. So it does seem like he touches the same themes and the same ideas quite often, yeah. but I, I couldn't knock him that either. Honestly, Rope's a great example of it's not just the single shots. The, you know, they they were moving walls and stuff out of parts of the set yeah, out of the, the way whole, to make the, the whole camera way that work. That was filmed, yeah. Um, is that yeah? That's that's one that like almost just like the behind the scenes, like looking at the pictures and and you're uh, like watching a Spike Jones behind the scenes yeah, music video with something. But Hitchcock like that, was yeah. doing it with a massive camera in the fifties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, okay, this thing takes like three people to move and we've got to completely uh, turn it around this direction now. We've got to put it on tracks here to roll it. you guys be in better shape? We can hear you breathing heavily as you're pushing this around. Yeah. So again, things, things like that, that, uh, that we'll, we'll continue to get into as we get with, uh, go with some of these other films that we're going to talk about that. Like I said, I, uh, that's one of the biggest things I feel like that he often gets overlooked and maybe that whole time period of films can sometimes get overlooked back in the thirties and forties where I guess to say he was experimenting with things, but it was a film was still so new that there was something new all the time that it's like, Oh, no one had ever tried this in film before because we've only been making films for like 30 years at this point. So no one had tried this yet. Uh, It's interesting though, because obviously I grew up in the nineties and you get to a point where you're not really watching a lot. At least in my family, I wasn't repeatedly shown older films. So you kind of like fall backwards. Like like I said, the very first Hitchcock movie I watched was Psycho from 1960. And then I'm like, oh, wow, it's old. And at the time, I, I'm like, oh, black and white. Like not even realizing that was a choice and not, you know, like it totally could have yeah. been in color if he wanted it to be in color. So then I started watching like the main Hitchcock ones, you know, around the fifties and early sixties. And that's what he's mostly known for. But like you, you back it up and there's a lot of really good ones like throughout his entire filmography. And I think eight, the age of movies kind of is misleading because one of the movies I think of is on Shen Endelu, which is a 14 minute French film. And I think Salvador Dali also yes. does the, Yeah. And some of the effects that they had in there where they're, like, cutting the eye with the razor, I couldn't believe how, not graphic, but realistic it looked. And it was weird because we kind of had a weird time where the movies weren't afraid to be realistic. Uh, and then foreign films were able to continue that, but most of the American films and the UK films, they started getting this, like, ratings board and how you said they, they didn't even want to show a toilet. It's weird because 
my mind is like, oh, things are so much like grittier, raunchier than they've ever been before. And it's just not true. It's just censor- censorship just kind of ruined it for a couple decades. Yeah. And I think Hitchcock's been, he, like, he constantly is playing with the idea of like what he can and can't get away with. And it's sad that a toilet's a big deal. It really yeah. is. So that was the, that's, that's like the biggest thing. Um, most of it's like a Pleasantville thing. Like I can imagine somebody going into the bathroom and there's just no fucking toilet in there. Yeah, yeah we can, we don't show those type of things around here. Do they even have a toilet flush? Could they even do the sound effect? No, they couldn't even do that before then because that's uh that's one of the things that he wanted to do in Mister and Missus Smith, um, when the one character's parents visit visit them in their office because they're lawyers, I think, and um the joke is that there's just like pipes rattling the whole time. And they said Hitchcock's original idea was to have it be like the sound of toilets flushing and being like the walls were too thin or something like that. And they were like, they're like, absolutely not. You can't have toilets flushing like that's gross. And he's just like, so it just had to be like generally like the plumbing was bad and the pipes were rattling too much. And uh, I think it's more so television than it is film, but husband and wives having separate beds. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it obscures your view as a kid. Like when I was a child and I'm watching these things, I'm like, oh, now mom and dad <laughs> have one bed. And you know what? We're allowed to have toilets. It's pretty cool. Times are changing. But I, I honestly think one of the other reasons that this is Hitchcock's favorite movie is because it has one of the most beautiful train shots of all time. I was about to say the trains, yeah. (laughs) It it has to be. He does love his trains. We do know that for a fact. We've already had trains in two of our films. Uh, Again, not even that we're talking about it, but he has a whole film called Strangers on a Train. (laughs) He loves his trains. Trains are his favorite. And it's it's actually interesting because you think about grown men that want to play with their trains, and that's what Hitchcock's been doing the entire time. Uh, and this movie also somewhat ends on a train. We didn't even talk about the very, very <laughs> end of the movie, uh, which I do, I do love. I kind of like that time too, where you know Uncle Charlie's off; he's going to be leaving, and they let other people on the train that don't have tickets. Yeah, that's like that's like the the same feeling as like when you used to be able to just go into the airport and just walk around the entire airport without needing to have a ticket to, to yeah, be at the you airport. Yeah, you could walk somebody to the gate and then you leave. Could, yeah, you could be in the you could go shop in the airport and like go do all that stuff. I can remember like yeah, that's that's a feeling of like being in school pre pre 9-11 when our school took a field trip so i'd have probably been like nine or ten or something like that and we went to the airport and we were just allowed to walk around the entire airport like nobody really supervising us just we could like kind of just go anywhere we wanted to oh you got to be careful that's how you end up lost in new york it could happen that was that was i was supposed to be on that plane i didn't check the ticket i think i've got a photo somewhere i'm in a cockpit oh that's cool it wasn't on the airplane though that's an, that's, what does that even mean? That's an airplane joke. Oh. The, the film Airplane. That's my favorite. It's one of my favorite jokes is when uh, the pilot asks the kid, you ever been in a cockpit? And he says, no, sir, I've never been on an airplane. <laughs> it's like one of the most yeah. sort of like stupidest jokes, but it's, it gets me every time when he says that. Have you ever been in a cockpit? No, I've never been in an airplane. But yeah, um, we have a like I and I also feel like it's weird too cuz this is the this is the master suspense 
and I love how he basically has his villain being, you know, kind of talking about his plan as he's trying to kill his niece, and he's not above murdering his own family to hold his keep his secrets. Yeah, yeah, he tries multiple times to to uh, sabotage the stairs. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He sabotages There's... the stairs. He tries to. Uh, he turns on the car, and uh, again. Again, that old timey, uh, you know, the, the safety feature that you could take the key out and leave the engine running, and uh, obviously you can't do that in cars nowadays, but you could do that in the 1940s. And also, your favorite character, Herb. Fuck Herb. Yeah, Herb came in, like I heard screaming. Well, bitch, open the door. Like, yeah. what? Are <laughs> Why'd you come in and tell the family? Like, someone's in danger. Go yeah. save them. I love, yeah, I love Herb. After that, when he's he's being like, it, it was me that saved you, and she's like. Oh yeah, sure. Thanks, Herb. <laughs> like, nobody cares about Herb. He does make me laugh. I, he is still, I, I like, out of all the characters, uh, I don't know why he he just sticks in your mind so well. Like above even even like a Norman Bates or you know Joseph Cotton's character in this film, I will always like it, it'd be like, what are your top ten Hitchcock characters? Probably number one, I'd be like, probably Herb. I mean, this is the movie where, like, Hitchcock goes all the way with his, like, discussions about murder in a in a comical way. And I think that actually probably stays with me longer in this movie than anything else. I mean, haven't watched this movie in a while. They're the two that I remember the strongest. I mean, yeah. I don't, honestly didn't even remember joseph cotton getting pushed off the train and getting run over by the other train which is a cool uh, cool shot but it wasn't even in my mind it was just like these two continuously trying to figure out the best way to commit murder and and charlie's obsession with her uncle those are the two yeah yeah the stairs are funny too I forgot about that. What a weird fucking way to try to murder somebody. <laughs> Just like, ah, they kind of cut the steps. It makes me think of Looney Tunes or something. Yeah. Yeah, he, he tries <laughs> He tries multiple times to, to kill her, and then is always just like, what are, you, uh, what are you talking about? I don't know why you're so mad at me. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I... <laughs> I don't feel so good. I'm just going to be outside breathing for a little bit. <laughs> breathing some air. It's like that's an old time he like fixed to. Maybe if you went to the hospital, you'd have been okay. But the science of the time is just like, I don't know. Just start breathing regular ass air. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, and you didn't talk about the 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 photo swap either i don't know how clever i thought that was you mean with the film yeah when the second detective takes that snapshot of joseph cotton and he puts his hand out and he's like give it i don't like photos of me and he hands over the film and then later it's like i gave him the wrong film now that we have a picture of him that's all they needed yeah, it's so it weird. East. Yeah. You know what is actually really funny, though? Because they don't nail Joseph Cotton. They don't get him. And if you think about the two people that they were following 
one got chewed up by a plane and the other one got crushed <laughs> by a train. <laughs> so it's like, it's like hopefully their leads were right. They're like we're we're de- we're positive that that the Mary Widow killer is dead because the only new suspects we had have died horrible deaths. Yeah, that's all we know for sure. Yeah, that's like it turns out it's like, yeah, that other guy back east that ran into an engine, he he wasn't even he was innocent. He just got scared because we were chasing him down. That'd actually be kind of an interesting movie to see too. Like he that's the uh the wrong man movie. It's one of yeah. his wrong man accused of a crime he didn't do. Yeah. But he ends up dying. He's not heroic. Yeah. <laughs> I do think uh that that's funny too, because you, you just made me think uh maybe one of his more uh uh, that he literally does a wrong man movie called the wrong man might be like yeah. the most on the nose version that he's ever done of that, of that film. Although it is like, it's funny in like a more depressing way than most of his other ones. Cause that entire film is just Henry Fonda just constantly like everyone's like working against him the entire time. And he's just like, I don't understand why everyone thinks I'm a murderer. And it has that great final moment that I do love of him being escorted out of the police station and the guy that is the killer is walking in and he does look almost identical to Henry Fonda. And you're just like, and it's like, and it's, it's almost the most comical thing because that legitimately is something that's happened so many times uh, in, in real life. Is it, it's like, no, that guy just 100% did look just like you. And we put you in prison for like 10 years. Cause, cause we were pretty sure it was you until we found this guy that looks identical to you. That's how uh, the last week's John Oliver was that I watched. Yeah, yeah, he it was the exact that. same thing. Like you can be co- committed, you, you know, found guilty of a crime, and then later the serial killer's like, "Ah, oh, that was me. I'm sorry about that, bro." <laughs> and they, they won't. And then they sometimes they anything. still won't even let you out. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, I always think about that because, uh, yeah, like I said, I know that's that's a real thing that's happened, but. Uh, that might be one of his his mo- his more obvious versions of the wrong man is literally the wrong man. That could be the poster. It would kind of spoil it, but I think that would be. Yeah, he really is the wrong man. We're telling you right now, he definitely is the wrong man. He did not commit this crime. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great trailer. This is Henry Fonda. He did not commit the crime of murder. He is the wrong man. <laughs> I'm telling you, as the trailer narrator, this guy is the wrong man. <laughs> yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah, we're, uh, I guess we'll see how these other Hitchcock conversations go. Next week should be bigger, I think, if we're still on track to have our guests. And then, yeah, I didn't even realize for a second that we were doing five episodes. So. Oh, yeah, we're packing them in. We really are. It'll be fun. Packing them in like strangers on a train. Packing them in like the flocking sheep in the 39 steps. Yeah. That you just end it there. Yeah, yeah, I, just, yeah, like, that was about as I can't think as... anymore. I'm fucking tired. Packing them in like those uh, stragglers on that lifeboat. <laughs> yeah. Packing them in like those personalities in that Norman Bates. <laughs> That's pretty loose. There's only two in there. 
I don't know. There's four voices for him. <laughs> for the mother. No. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's but yeah, we're not we're not talking about that film this month, but uh yeah, again, that's that's the only time Hitchcock admits that he's ever that he's ever lied to the audience because he didn't uh he used some other things in there. Didn't uh, didn't always use Anthony Perkins as the killer in some of those shots. Like used somebody else in a, in a few of them. So yeah, the only yeah, time. I mean that's it. And they do similar things with. Uh, it makes me think of Scream. For the most part, it's always the same um, stunt person that plays them throughout the whole thing. So you don't you can't tell from like body size who this person is. Yeah. Even though yeah, when it's revealed who the killer is. Like there's obviously times when it's like I don't that guy doesn't seem like the same size as the guy that's been killing them the entire time, for some of those films. I want to see somebody that's like unmasked and then it's like a cut to they're like a 500 pound guy. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like huge, and they're like it was clearly a skinny guy that was going around murdering everybody. Yeah, as long as it doesn't take away and it's not too ridiculous, but maybe yeah. it's the ridiculousness that Scream means. But, uh, yeah, our next uh, film is a universal slash... Uh, the other one's on Criterion. I guess they're both would be universal, then. My assumption. No, the first one wouldn't be. You don't think so? No. It was made you in You know Britain. so? Oh, yeah. Hmm. It's whoever the fuck made films in Britain in the... 20s or 30s <laughs> yeah i guess you're right well we'll see maybe it's like owned by yeah, Universal yeah now <laughs> however that goes all right we're terrible at doing teases at the end of our episodes and we're sorry that we bored you half to death but we'll be back next week and we're gonna hopefully maybe have a larger episode than normal and if we don't okay we don't we just keep going on with it our yeah. hitchcock theme as we make our way towards our fourth director. But I think peace, Sayonara. We are Cinema de More. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening. <laughs>